Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there, and welcome to this review episode of the Explaining History podcast. And today I want to talk about an excellent book I've been reading um, from my good buddies at IB Taurus, um, Black Power and the American People, Culture and Identity in the 20th Century by Raphael Tarubia. Now the reason why I wanted to review this book is the concept of black power is enormously contested and mythologised um, it conjures up images of um, the Black Panther Party, of uh, radical figures like Angela Davis and um, Huey P. Newton. Um, and it is, um, and of course, forerunners to that, such as Malcolm X, um, obviously. The reality that um, Raphael Tarubia puts across in this book is that black power has a much longer history than that, and that um, black power um, is a concept that one can trace back to the slave plantations, um, one can see emerging in the Harlem Renaissance, and this also um, travels beyond the um, period of the uh, supposed black power movement of the 1970s manifesting itself in all sorts of ways in the 80s, 90s and now in the 21st century. Black power is always rather neatly um, contrasted with the civil rights movement. Um, there seems to be a, a binary opposition between Martin Luther King's uh, peaceful protesting and the images presented of um, angry black radicals toting guns um, and the, from the, the Black Panther Party, for example. And it's really an oversimplistic um, opposition, uh, sort of division. Firstly, um, the civil rights movement did not distinguish itself in that way from what was later viewed as black power. Black power was a catch-all term that was imposed on a, a myriad of groups with all sorts of different agendas from black nationalism to Islam to Marxism to Maoism 
And the civil rights movement itself was a, an, an armada of groups that Martin Luther King, by 1963, manages to um, represent as a homogenous whole, but it's really not. So if you to take black power and what we think of as the civil rights movement, um, take away these simplifying banners, um, all you see is, is a spectrum of groups um, wanting uh, you know, similar things um, and also having contrasting views. And if you look at any other um, liberation movement in women's um, rights or gay rights or uh, national liberation movements in and around the third world, you find a very similar, uh, a, a very similar set of relations. So perhaps the first task is to deconstruct this uh, oversimplification. Um, this is in, in, indeed a, a construct, a, uh, a construct of, of language. And the most effective way to do that is through kind of a rigorous historical analysis, which is what this book does a reasonably good job, actually an extremely good job of. One point Terubia makes um, towards the start of the book is that um, surveys at the time during the 1960s constantly downplayed uh, the militancy of black Americans. Uh, the uh, evidence which was favourable to uh, the government and to uh, white ears um, was that um, the uh, about 5% of the black population supported more, uh, more militant action and the vast majority um, approved of, of Martin Luther King um, as opposed to someone like, say, Stokely Carmichael. Um, and the, the reality was that, uh, sure, probably a, a, a tiny minority um, supported militancy, which or the, the implication of militancy always means violence. And that was fairly standard in most populations. It's pretty normal for the majority of people in any given population to be uh, averse to uh, violent action. However, the cultural, um, the, the cultural spread of black power uh, had far greater um, cachet in the lives of many black Americans than the, um, the, the, the direct, uh, direct action or political action. So black power became, during the 1970s, more a cultural expression um, though it obviously had its own um, militant and political manifestations too. The other dimension that is explored, or one of the many dimensions that is explored, is that of class and how uh, social class uh, had a bearing on uh, the relationship between black Americans and black power. Working class black Americans far more likely to be represented in the black, commu black power um, community and far more likely to identify with it. Um, there were all manner of spoken and unspoken class tensions within the, um, and between the black power movement or aspects of the black power movement. As we've already identified, these binary oppositions are too simplistic. And the civil rights movement with um, people such as Martin Luther King being seen in some quarters due to his uh, middle-class upbringing um, as being too removed from the daily experience of um, poorer working-class black Americans. 
The book also examines white perceptions of black power, perceptions that seem to be alive and well in the 21st century, of white police officers uh, convinced that they were dealing with um, a, a dangerous threat to uh, the, the existence of white people, suburbia, um, and that their, would, their homes would be invaded by uh, dangerous black revolutionaries. We might think these anxieties laughable, uh, and indeed they are. However, the fact that they existed in, and gives us a clue as to why um, white police officers, um, you know, all the way up to things like the Rodney King beating, behaved as they did. I mean, these deep-seated racist assumptions um, added to the fact that many, as it would appear from reading this, uh, of, of white officers in part places such as Detroit believed they were on the front line of some kind of racial war. And again, that uh, that kind of overtly um, racial thinking uh, that is kind of redolent of um, the language of the Nazis almost gives us all sorts of resources of interesting questions about ideologically and politically where um, police officers in America during the civil rights era, during the Black Power era, were coming from how these thoughts, attitudes, beliefs um, and assumptions had developed. And much appears to be um, down to the, uh, the power of television, the representation of noble, passive, patient, good and well-behaved civil rights protesters singing We Shall Overcome and being you know, patiently beaten with rubber truncheons on the march to Selma, um, that is juxtaposed uh, against the, the menacing images of the, the black power movement of uh, fists raised in the air, berets and sunglasses, um, firearms um, and uh, assertive images, particularly of black masculinity. And of course, as we find with um, uh, American racial strife, nothing is new. Uh, if you look back at uh, the Red uh, Summer of 1919, and I've done a podcast on this one maybe two years ago now, um, where there was an enormous outpouring of racial violence against black people um, and as the white uh, American soldiers returned from the First World War following the Great Migration from the southern states to the north to discover black people now living in northern communities, doing manufacturing jobs um, and having supposedly encroached on uh, economic and social territory that white people thought was sacrosanct and theirs. Um, violence from uh, in the northern states particularly but stemming into the, the south as well uh, exploded with mass lynchings uh, and attacks on black communities. Um, the On the 6th of October the uh, 1919, the New York Times cautioned its readers to beware of planned massacre of whites. Um, while in the closing months of the war, the same organ warned weary Manhattanites that they risked becoming victims of a 200-pound Negro armed with a shark knife who had been seen wading through rioting streets, thronging with excited Negroes armed with revolvers, knives, stones and bottles. I mean, fanciful nonsense. Um, the uh, victims of the violence were 
overwhelmingly black, um, black uh, former soldiers and uh, citizens form neighbourhood defence associations. Uh, the book that I like to cite quite a lot, uh, excellent and fascinating biography, Harry Hayward's um, Black Bolshevik, uh, writes how in, uh, in Omaha in 1919, he and his friends who had served in the First World War went down to the local army base where one of their um, former uh, f- uh, former men, uh, comrades at arms, equipped them all with as many rifles and pistols as they needed to uh, protect their neighbourhood. It's hardly surprising that newspapers in the 19, uh, 1910s, 20s and, and beyond throughout the 20th century have uh, uncritically reflected back to anxious um, and um, racially prejudiced white audiences, uh, their own uh, bigoted beliefs and assumptions, uh, and thus carried out the process or facilitated the process of amplifying fears and tensions and then subsequently violence. And when not being uh, demonised as um, some terrible threat to the white race, the uh, black uh, militant rioters were depicted as naive, or for want of a better term, childlike. Um, In um, the San Francisco Chronicle, um, the definition of the Black Panthers were that the Black Panthers wear guns, talk revolution, um, and see themselves as stars of a movie melodrama of revolution, and um, presenting them as uh, incapable, really, of understanding uh, political concepts. The reality being, of course, is that normally people who are at their most powerless have actually an acute and keen understanding of the politics, normally the politics that is arraigned against them, uh, and they can make all sorts of insightful judgments based on their own experience. The book places the modern black power movement, beginning in the late 60s, uh, in the context of, the, well, the wider context of the 60s and the 70s. The uh, crisis of the Vietnam War, uh, radicalising, as is argued by um, historians on the libertarian left, like Howard Zinn, for example, um, many um, areas of uh, American life, from the, uh, uh, the women's movement to Native Americans, Latino Americans, the trade union movement, uh, imprisoned uh, prisoners' rights, um, and obviously the, the Black Power movement. Uh, and this book um, suggests that the uh, this historical um, epoch had a profound bearing on the development of modern, uh, modern Black Power movement, but it was also deeply connected to historical antecedents uh, such as the Harlem Renaissance, the works of W.E.B. Du Bois um, and Marcus Garvey, um, the development of the Nation of Islam, and other major trends within uh, black American life. So it's uh, one of those books where I think it's, it's really, really valuable. Um, it takes a thing that we kind of know about, apologies if there are any black power experts out there, um, or a kind, a, it takes a topic 
that uh, there is generally some understanding about, but a great deal of mythologization and misunderstanding, uh, and seeks to place it in a wider historical and cultural context. And the reason why that's valuable is because you can see the longer-term trends of change in American life, um, these seeming aberrations that appear to spring out of nowhere, in fact, actually have very complex origins, um, as do um, other historical phenomena that we observe. So, that's um, Black Power and the American People, Cultural Identity in the 20th Century, by Raphael Tarubia, um, by IB Tourists, published by IB Tourists. Um, you can get it from the IB Tourists website, um, pick it up from a good bookshop, um, please make sure, um, if you're going to get a copy, and I strongly urge you do, um, that you support your independent bookstore, because we really, really need those guys. And on the subject of support, if you can give us a review, um, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, make it a five-star one, uh, and we'll be back uh, later with another Explaining History podcast. Thanks. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.